I got a message for your American buddy. I'm your wife, damn it! Ah, would have to go up to the wives in the library or the supermarket and say hello. I am new here. I know, George, you think I don't know anything, but I know people. I get 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. You want your file? I found you your file. You want it out? I got you out. You needed money? I found you some. Now, let's face it here. I've got to, you know, latch on to something in my life. Oh, yeah, you blind. No use to try to sweet talk me, Miss Scarlett. I know you ever since I put the first pair of diapers on you. Who was going to love me? Who, who was going to make me feel good? I wish I had a mother like me instead of nice. Nice gets you shit. I got a two-inch thick solo in steak. Sit and defrost and wait this minute. When you and Guy come over and supple with us tonight, what do you say? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Best Supporting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating and dissecting the performances of our favorite Best Supporting Actresses. My name is Nick Kachanov and, uh, you know... (laughs) (laughs) And my name is Colin Drucker and all I get back is that face on your face. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh my god. We're here. We're here. You know, there's been so many episodes over the, the... brief life of this podcast to date where i'm like oh my god i'm so excited i can't wait or it's just like because we didn't talk about this at all it was like watch hereditary save it for the pod obviously we're talking about hereditary today uh and this is first this is the one that like before we hit record i was like i'm brimming (laughs) yes i i'm really excited to talk about this and i never thought i would say that because i as most listeners know, do not do, I don't do horror films. Yeah. Um, and, but this is a special one and I'm, I'm super excited. I know this means, this movie means a lot to you. I mean, just, uh, I think our first tote bag should just read Tony Collette in Hereditary uh, and that's it. I mean, I'm... no pictures, just the font. <laughs> that's it. That's And it. just see who responds. Yeah. In big block letters, Tony Collette in Hereditary. <laughs> like I have thought, would it be too much to get a tattoo of that somewhere? It would be, but you know, it means so much to me the expression Tony Collette in Hereditary. Yeah, it packs a punch. Yes. And obviously, Holy shit. you know, we're going to the the sort of BSA focus is of course Queen Anne Dowd um yes. as Joan, but I mean, you you can't talk about Hereditary without swerving into the telephone pole of Tony Collette. <laughs> yeah, among like everyone in the cast. I think like and we will get into it, of course, too. But, like, I think, like, Gabriel Byrne has, like, he serves his purpose, but he also has, like, the least to do. It's, like, that's the person I feel like I we will talk about the least. Yep. But I still, like, would love to talk about him. But, um, you know, Millie Shapiro and, um, oh, my gosh, um, Alex Wolf. Mm. Oh, in terms of a Best Supporting Why? Actor, Alex Wolf. Yeah. 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 Oh my God! I was blown away by him, and I, I was trying to picture where I had seen him before, and he's in the Jumanji remakes oh. that I was gushing about like two months ago on Squirrel Friends. Of course, I will. I will still hold. That still holds true. If you need a movie to watch, watch Jumanji. Yeah, I'm, and uh, maybe that's a so good. that's a good pairing with Hereditary as like something to watch after. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Good palate, mind cleanser. I don't. I don't even know how to like say that, but. Yeah. So walk us through, Colin, because uh, I know you've done other podcast episodes about Hereditary, I'd imagine, mm-hmm. too. But w- did you see this in the theaters? What was your experience with this? Well, so and and I'll try to keep it brief because I'm just so I'm dying to know your experience with this. But um, <laughs> I saw it in the theater when it came out. It was like early 2018, I think. And I was on a date with a boy who was not very nice. And... 
Uh, and it was one of the, and I think this was like, it had kind of started a little more casually and then it was like, oh, we should like go out and do stuff together and, you know, see if there's wheels on this. And yes, he just, I mean, this isn't about him, but and that's what I think of <laughs> when I think of this. Sure. Yeah. You know, it was like, oh, I went to see this with that guy and like the most significant, so many significant things. But I think through like, like halfway through the movie, I was like, oh God, I have to pee so bad. And oh, so no. like the last, like. 10 minutes of the movie that like chaotic final 10 minutes the whole time i was just like just go up into the treehouse already i'm gonna burst you know so, oh okay so oh god so it. it was a bit of a weird experience in that respect but then i and so it was like once it was over it was like well i definitely have to see this again but i could not watch hereditary again for months like i just couldn't yeah. go back to it and I think it was less the horror elements or any of like the, you know, the moments of violence, but really like the first 45 minutes, just like when shit goes mm -hmm. down and it's just like, you know, I love grief, but it was like, oh, so much grief. And yes. I just wasn't prepared for it. And I, so I've queened out about it on In the Details a few times. I think we did a Matreon on All Right Mary about it. I, 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 I once I revisited Hereditary, I was like, oh, God, like... I, what I didn't appreciate the first time was that Tony Collette, yes, she has the crying on the bedroom floor and the dinner table scene, mm -hmm. but it's really like the whole second half of the movie. She is just a wrung out rag. And yeah. I just like, that's, I think what keeps bringing me back is just Tony Collette's like elevated performance and just, uh, I mean, you know, that's what I, I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about today. But uh, yeah, that was kind of my initial experience with Hereditary was it, it the first time I saw it, I was like, this is something else. But I can't go back to it for a while. Yeah, I it's still with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we watched it on Sunday afternoon because mm -hmm. I refused to watch this before bed. And, and there is so much of me, too, because I listened to um an episode of it's the Vanity Fair podcast. It's like, uh, or no, yeah, Vanity Fair. Oh uh, no, no, I'm getting all confused. Slate's spoiler specials. Mm -hmm. uh, Vanity Fair is a separate podcast. Um, and three women talked about it. Three like well, lovely women. And one of them, one of my like favorite takeaways is I know Anne Dowd was like a name back then because they mentioned her in Handmaid's Tale, but they call her the actress Anne Dowd. And I just like <laughs> love that so much because they're, they're very NPR. And like, and of course we have the actress Anne Dowd. And I was just like, that's what I'm going to call her yeah. for the rest of my life. Now the actress Anne Dowd. That's the second tote bag, the actress Anne Dowd. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. Um, so I, there were like a lot of opinions and just like different things that they were saying. And one of the things, cause they all saw it in the theaters too, that I, I simultaneously never, I, I would never see this in the theater, but I would also love to see this in the theater just to have that community experience of like, like she said at the end when, when like Tony Collette's hiding oh, God. on the ceiling yes. in the bedroom. Cause the first one is not so obvious. Mm hmm. Because mm -hmm. we watched it during the daytime, so I did not see her, like, right behind him. Yeah. And then I didn't see it until she kind of scurried out. And I was like, holy shit, she was there the whole time. But, like, the cool thing about Boom being in the movie theater they were talking about is, like, some people spotted it and just, like, screamed. Yep. And other people were like, what are they screaming at? What do you see? And I just think that's that's really uh, incredible and really fun mm -hmm. to, to picture that shared experience of just, of course, being scared out of your wits but also um there is something about that 
experience being in the theater that would definitely make this uh, fun in a way. Yeah, that is something I do remember is is especially those like moments of, of Tony, you know, and it's like it's not a jump scare. It's just suddenly she's there. And when you see it, you Oof. see it. And I remember people screaming and I remember that communal feeling of like, because mm-hmm. at that point, it's just the shit hits the fan in this movie. And yes, and it, it even though I was like, OK, well, I am going to legitimately wet my pants anyway. I was there for the communal experience, <laughs> yes. you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, here's. Uh, gosh, it's hard to even just give like bullet point thoughts for this too, because there's so much that I could just dive into right away too. So like, I think I did make some notes just like, um, I'm like, but with that being said, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess I will. Yeah. Um, Don't make me sing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my initial thought is that um, Millie Shapiro is such a cool, awkward, funny looking girl who is absolutely perfect for this role and like is... It's a shame that she has to die so quickly. And that death scene is like, I I knew going in that I saw, I watched the death scene on YouTube and I, of course, know the 27 dinner scene, going to a 27 dinner scene too. But other than that, that's pretty much it. And like, I wish I didn't know that, but at the same time, I'm kind of glad I did. I don't know what it would have been like if I hadn't. It definitely would have been a surprise with um, the death of Charlie, but... um, I was just really kind of uh, enchanted in like a weird way by Millie Shapiro. I just think she's so interesting looking. Mm-hmm. And and like, because I listened to an episode with, um, it's called, um, ooh, it's like the Fangoria podcast. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, it's it's not called that, but it's like Fangoria is like that magazine, oh. I believe, and among other, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know. Fangoria. Oh, I, I, I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they interviewed um, Ari Aster, and he was so worried that they would not find a Charlie. That was mm. like one of the last characters that they were like really, they wanted it to be perfect, and they found her. And she's like a Broadway actress. She played Matilda on yeah. Broadway. Yeah. I loved that. Yeah. She's, um, yeah, such like specific casting. Absolutely. Yes. Um, uh, other bullet points <clears throat> just off the top of my head, too, is like the house is incredible. Mm-hmm. I love that house. If like we ever did an episode on like best movie houses, it would be like that. And um, best supporting parasites. architecture. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and uh, I, I'd say like a huge part of this movie is also like the score and the sound mixing. Yeah. I think that there's so much of that that. A good, like, even if it isn't a jump scare per se, the music is like the jump scares, um, which I still jumped many times during this movie, too. And I, it's funny because, like, one of my, I'd say, like, top three things that I'm most afraid of mm-hmm. are just, like, shadows and people hiding in my room. <laughs> so this movie did not do well. With no. I did not do well in this movie. But I made it. And um, there, there was the one scene at the end after he finds, um, after uh, the son, after Peter finds the dad like burnt to a crisp, and then they pan up, and there's that one guy standing yeah. there. That is where I like, I like couldn't move. I was so scared yeah. <laughs> because I don't like you don't see it at first, and then you're like, holy shit, there's a guy there, and he's naked and he's smiling. Ugh, it's just like I had full body. It wasn't even like scared. I mean, I was, but like I was. I was frozen with fear and my whole body was just like 
pins and needles. It was just that, and it lingers. If yeah. there's something about, like, if there's one thing about this movie, it's like he takes his time mm-hmm. with every shot, and and even sometimes fakes you out, like the close up shots where you think that someone's gonna like. Like at any moment, Tony Collette's just gonna like kill her son too. As soon as that's like mentioned, that I, I was on edge the whole time. It was. Uh, but with that being said, I had such a great time watching it. It's it's very. It's a weird thing to say because this movie's so fucked up in a way too. But those are my opening thoughts. Um, so much more to say though. I'm so glad. I mean, I. You know, I, I for, thank you for taking the risk of watching Hereditary. Yeah. I knew it was like, okay, this is going to be, you know, we've done a few horror movies before. We've done Rosemary's yeah. Baby. We've done Poltergeist. But, you know, I think what all three of those have in common, and I think there's similarities among the three of them, is, yeah, they're horror movies, but at the heart of them, they are uh, dramas, and they are about conflicts and relationships, and they're about, mm-hmm. you know, families in crisis or couples in crisis, and... And there's so much more about, you know, you know, either Mia Farrow or Joe Beth Williams just going through it or Tony Collette just going yes. through it. And I think all, all three of them also have like a especially Poltergeist. But like I feel like both Poltergeist and Hereditary in the last 10 minutes, the shit just hits the fan. You know, yeah, that's true. That's very true. It just amps up Same in a way. Template. Yeah, and 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 there's moments in Rosemary's Baby and Hereditary that are similar. You know, I think about when Rosemary's trying to convince Guy and she's shown in the books and he's not believing it and Tony Collette, you know, Annie's doing the same thing with Steve and it's oh, it it just I love that there is something so there's something about Hereditary that feels so unique and singular and at the same time mm-hmm. is referential and, and does harken back to other movies in a way that doesn't feel like a ripoff but feels like a an homage, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I was I was pulling up as you were talking too. It's like I I'm so glad that we that I because I obviously you had seen it that we covered Rosemary's Baby before this movie mm-hmm. because they're so it's just like, in a way, it's such a wink to that. And like that Anne Dowd is like the mini cast event yes. of this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why that wasn't presented to me earlier. I'm like, why didn't you tell me this, God? <laughs> no. Well, that was, yeah, totally. That is, that's one of the biggest things is that yes. Joan and Minnie kind of play a similar role in that they are, like, you of course would fall for it. They are so, they, they worm their way into Rosemary and Annie's lives in a way that it's like if I was Rosemary or Annie, I don't think I would do anything different. I would fall for it as yeah. well. And they seem on the outset to be, you know, harmless, but they're in fact the most insidious characters in the movie because they seem yeah. so harmless, you know? Um, and and I, I just, the, the BSA energy, the quintessential BSA energy of Ruth Gordon and Queen Anne Dowd, the actress Queen Anne The Dowd. actress Anne Dowd. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> God, and and they did say on that um that slate spoiler special too. It's like you don't hire Anne Dowd to be. I don't think they said to be nice, but they just said like when you hire Anne Dowd, you know that shit is gonna go down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially coming off of like Handmaid's Tale, and they talked about the leftovers as well too. Like she doesn't play, but she she does have that ability to toggle between like warm, almost sort of mother energy, and then also just like you know the opposite i would say too uh mm-hmm. well actress and the actress yeah and speaking Dad, of i guess yeah because yeah. i mean i have so much to say about tony collette but i feel like 
let's talk about Ann Dowd first and talk about Joan first. Uh, if if you're yes. cool with that, um, Joni, Joni, Joni. I, um, you know, it's funny. Like watching this movie, I was of course thinking about like what your viewing experience was like watching it and how, you know, so many awful things happen in that first like forty five you know, 50 minutes mm-hmm. of the movie. And I thought the moment Joni comes running out in front of Annie's car, waving her hands, I thought, oh, Nick probably feels better in this moment. This is probably a comforting moment. You know? Yes, what an entrance, yeah. what an entrance. <laughs> yes, uh, just kind of walking around. And I was like, oh, what's she doing? I thought if I was to guess too, that she was going to play some sort of therapist for and mm-hmm. for and out for, for Annie. Um but I'm glad she didn't because it makes it so much more interesting. And like, I mean, we will get into just the robbery of Tony Collette and like award season. But oh. like, not for nothing, Anne Dowd as well too. It's like if Anne Dowd had that had that Emmy, maybe she did already by this point too. It's like I I don't know why. It's like if Ruth maybe Ruth Gordon had a little bit more screen time mm-hmm. in Rosemary's Baby too. But like, they are similar characters. I wish that like. We saw more of Anne, but also I'm glad that we saw just enough of her because I don't want to see the dark side of Joan, if that makes yeah. sense either. Yeah. yeah. But I kind of want to at the same time. Right. We only really get to see it in that one scene where she's like across the street from the school yelling at Peter, like, get out. Like that yes. one moment was like, oh, that's the doubt, you know, like that's the doubt yes. of that happening, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But the way that she's introduced is, yes, yeah, she is someone else in this grief counseling group that Annie goes to that we see briefly early on when she goes after her mother dies. But it's just like in a group shot. And I, I love that kind of just we always talk about, yeah, like when a BSA enters a movie. And mm-hmm. I think her official BSA entrance is the dancing in front of the car. Oh, wait, wait, wait moment. Yes. But I love that we get a glimpse of her early. And I think Hereditary does this with so many things where it just drops hints and clues and just little like, oh, pay attention to this. And yes. then it's like, oh. And if you don't know Anne Dowd, like you wouldn't, if you don't recognize her, that she wouldn't jump out at all in that first scene. Yeah, she is in that circle too, because that's something I watched um, a many hereditary explained YouTube videos because I needed it. And then I was just like fascinated. I was like, well, what else did I miss? Mm. And then I was like, that was there. Oh my gosh. I was, and it made me, I mean, not maybe this week, maybe not next week, but eventually I would like to rewatch it again. Mm -hmm. Especially now that I know, I think anything, any sort of like horror film that you do watch, there is that sense of okay, I know what's happening here. I've seen this. Ter- I'm, I know the territory, even though I'd probably still be scared. Mm-hmm. But just to see if you pick up on anything else, that's like, it's like, it's definitely one of those movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's yeah. so much in there. Um, and, you know, of course, I mean, it's it's a movie all about grief. And so there's just like, there's so yeah. there's always so much to, to explore in things about grief. And maybe that's subjective because I love grief. But um I yeah. think like even the emotional notes of the movie, I feel like there's new things to, I've picked up, like I picked up this time that I didn't really realize the last time. Um, especially in that first scene, you know, not to divert to Tony too much, but that monologue about her mother and about her life and just the way that it's shot, like it's like, oh, I like there's those other blockbuster Tony Collette moments, but then there's like that scene where it's just so nuanced and so just like restrained you know it's crazy 
So here's, this is, this is going to take, well, maybe I'll save that, but just remind me further down the line, like I'll pose the question now so you could start thinking too, mm-hmm. but there are people that did not like this movie. Um, th- there are people that like liked the movie, but didn't like the ending. And there are, th- there's also like the whole sort of idea that like, why didn't this get more Oscar attention or Golden Globe attention to? And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are behind that too. But because I know there's a stigma sort of against horror when it comes to nominations and stuff i know that's like such a tempting thing to talk about right I now but, um but i i, I don't want to like divert from 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 Anne. that'll be a but, good uh, like concluding topic i think yeah. to be like so after all this why didn't it get more attention i i think that's a that's a worthy topic to cover yes um and and what a great uh gosh they're so even listening to um that interview with Ari Aster too who's 34 by the way oh. who's my age so that made me feel real good but you know if you can't if you can't, uh, you know, write and direct Hereditary, you make a podcast to talk about exactly, it. That's, that's exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it still counts. Yeah. It still counts. But um, a great set piece is, uh, Grief is such a great set piece for this in general, too. It always is, of course. But, um, and just for, like, Joan meeting Annie, like, when she's literally probably the most vulnerable she's ever been in her whole life. And mm-hmm. as soon, God, I just love uh tony collette's reaction where she said my you know my son and grandson grandson died they drowned and it's just like oh, okay you actually know what i'm going through as yeah. opposed to someone who like maybe lost a husband in their late 80s as it's it's a it's an entirely different brand of grief and she knows it yeah yeah i think that's such a big part of it that is similar to rosemary's baby is when joan stops her you know months later and, and catches her in the parking lot i mean first of all Ann Dowd's just beautiful speaking voice, the way she enunciates, like I just, I could listen to her read stereo instructions. Oh yeah. You know? It's like this, almost like this, it's not transatlantic at all, but it has like that, a little bit of flair from like movies from the fifties mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not British and it's, it's, it's like English obviously too, but it's, it's so comforting. Yeah. It's yeah. vaguely Beatrice Strait. So, you know, yes, never yes. mad at that. Um, and so, uh, so Joan, like, yeah, like it, I think what's so interesting is how she kind of maneuvers her way into Annie's life. And I think there's so many details of, in terms of, you know, this cult has been, you know, a part of Annie's life and Annie's mother's life for years. And Joan has been a part of her mother's life for years that I probably haven't put all the pieces together in terms of like how all of this happened. But, um, I love that on the outset, in terms of what Annie understands, Joan is doing and saying all the right things. You know, she's mm-hmm. she's being so humane. I love when she's like, okay, now I'm really going to embarrass myself. But listen, if you ever need to talk, and she gives her her number, it's like, it's so... She's an expert. Yes. Expert level. It's so disarming. I just, I, I was like, God, I, I would fall for every fucking second of this especially if it was the actress Anne Dowd you know I'd be like yeah sure here's my son you know what I mean like just... <laughs> yes. you lost yours I'll give you mine yeah hell payment yeah. you know <laughs> so... hell payment <laughs> and so it's like it is so in a way that like she's so likable in that in those first yeah. moments that you're like you want Joan to be the like supportive friend you want Joan to be an innocent figure in this because she's just doing it so well 
Yeah, so my question to you, Colin, because Keon figured it out like right away that she was up to no good. Mm. Did you also know that, or was there like maybe a five, ten minute period and you're like, wait, I what's, what was your first cure? Was it just a hunch? I th- I mean, I think I was hopeful because like Anne Dowd, is, Same, yeah. you know, it's like that's my kind of like, I love a supportive friend in a movie. I, you know. Uh, I think I'm going to do an episode on the, in the details soon, but uh, in the Stepford Wives, there's the character of Bobby, who's like the main character's you know friend in the movie, and and she's you know kind of her her uh, sidekick through much of it until things don't go well yeah. for Bobby. But it's like I'm just so happy to see that character and that energy, and and Joan was giving me a bit of that. The transition for me with Joan was it went from like oh she's so disarming, she's this nice lady to like. Oh, she's kind of kooky. Hmm. But you know, I I'm like I don't I don't trust her in the same way that I don't trust like a crazy old lady I meet in the, on the street or in the supermarket in New York. It's like, okay, you're sure. harmless, but you're kooky. And it just yeah. it kept unraveling from there, you know, and I yeah. I think you kind of know in the back of your mind that you probably shouldn't trust her because it's the actress Ann Dowd, but yes. it unravels very slowly like how untrustworthy she is yeah there's something about the way she says bye bye Mm. (laughs) that's also a little bit creepy it's it's like yeah it's uh i mean i would have loved to have seen a scene where like they're both together and like tony collette realizes that like oh shit you're actually not on my side but Mm -hmm. i'm i'm glad it doesn't exist i'm glad all we get is just that shot of her apartment yeah because that's equally terrifying and it serves its purpose in its own way too um but there is gosh it's just she's so good at it it's like i'm thinking about like this is a tony collette moment of course but I, i'm i'm gonna call it the paint thinner monologue when yeah. she goes over to um annie's house too and then like as soon as i mean this is a big easter egg too as soon as at uh it's funny because I want to. It's Annie is Tony Collette, but Anne Dowd is Joan. Okay, so um, when Annie goes over to Joan's apartment and she sees that welcome mat, yeah, and she's like, "Oh, my mom used to make the like literally the exact same thing." Like that would have been a huge moment for me. But it's so interesting how she just kind of pushes past that. She's like, "Oh wow," because she's probably still underwater from grief, yeah. and like this is the one woman who has shown her a little bit of. Or just, like, not shown her... Well, yeah, in a way, too. Because, like, the whole family is so disconnected, in a way, from their emotions. So it's just like, okay, that's really crazy. And that probably can't be a coincidence. But I'm just going to go in here and have a cup of tea anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that, like, again, it's like Rosemary's Baby, where, you know, if when when you look back on it, it's like, oh, my God, how did I not realize this? How did I not put this together sooner? But in the moment... It, your mind just doesn't work like that. And I think to your point, Annie at that point just needed someone to listen to her and just needed someone yeah. who seemed to understand her. And like, she already is sort of an outsider in her own family. And I think that like, that's what's so incredible about Joan is that she's the perfect kind of predator because she isolates Annie and makes her feel like she's yeah. the only one in a way that she can trust and is mm-hmm. so trustworthy. It's, it's brilliant grooming in a way. It is. It is. And there's something about the way that, and I feel like it happens earlier on too, but like there's so much of, um, there's so much touching that Ann Dow does with Tony Collette, especially in that parking lot. It's, it, it just adds to the, 
the urgency of it and because even though tony collette's not necessarily walking away it's like she's acting as if she's about to she's like you don't mm-hmm. understand like i can't and like but also the fact that she i love the blocking in that scene like Anne dowd kind of walks away from her mm-hmm. in the, between the cars and then she like crosses towards the camera as well it's just like she's like setting up a perimeter in a way mm. it's, it's really interesting because ari asked her it, this would annoy me as an actor and he said this um, as well, too. He's like, I think a lot of actors get annoyed with me because he blocks out every scene. Right, right. He's like, you were gonna, you were gonna cross over here on this line, or like you were gonna find your way over here during this line. It's probably like what he says, not like you're gonna. Because can you imagine saying that to like Tony Collette? Oh, like, yeah. I know you have like great instincts, but I need you to like. It's like it's more based in like the shot and what he's trying to achieve. Yeah. Too, which I. I do appreciate too, but it, for an actor, it does. It is a little bit more stifling in that way too, and I'm sure they rehearse a lot. It just the whole process of making this movie was fascinating to me too, and all the research and all of the pre-production that usually goes on for maybe like weeks was actually like months, yeah, and possibly even years. It was. It's really interesting. Um, I was talking about Anne and I lost my train of thought, but well, that parking uh, lot ahead. scene. Well, actually, I'm glad you brought because that is actually I think my favorite because we, we get that scene in in Joan's apartment where you know Annie kind of spills her guts about you know the sleepwalking and and waking up and she's covered in paint thinner and so are the kids and you know we just we start to get more of a sense of that backstory, but it's so much more about Tony and like uh, and Joan just kind of listening and <clears throat> and then. I think my favorite scene of Jones is in the art store parking lot when, you know, and, and it's, it's an interesting period, right? Because I feel like, you know, there's clearly been some passage of time and the way that Annie is carrying herself, there's an, there's an energy and like the fact that she's buying art supplies, it feels like, Oh, Annie is starting to kind of come back to life a little bit. Like she's starting to kind of, you know, find her groove. And then, she sees Joan in the parking lot, you know, packing up her, her trunk full of art supplies. And I, I just, I love this entire scene. I think this is for me. Well, you know, the, the next scene is certainly like a set piece for Joan. This is for me, like the, the quote unquote, where she would have won it scene is Joan navigating the scene with Annie of like, from the beginning of like, Oh, Annie and running up to her and hugging her and just like, there's some implication of like, okay, what's going on here? And I think that it's, it's so interesting that the levels that, that Tony Collette's playing where she is kind of like, like suspicious, not suspicious, but just a little skeptical and, but still smiling like, okay, what's going on here? And I, I just, I love like knowing that all of this is a, is a lie, knowing that it's all a performance of Joan being like, you're not going to believe this. I know this sounds crazy. I know I was just a skeptical, like she's hitting all the right notes to say, I hear you. This is crazy. And like, as you said, she's... I sat next to a neurologist. Right, you're that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's my favorite line. I, I sat next to a, a neurologist. neurologist. Skeptical. And, and I, he was a changed man. Like she's selling it and like as you said like as Annie would kind of turn away Joan would like grab her arms go I know I know I know this is crazy and Mm -hmm. it's interesting to think of that kind of acting when someone is they're they're clearly not just hitting lines on a page there's this sort of natural way of speaking and to think that all of that was blocked out you know yeah yeah uh there is something so specific about how she has to convince Annie too because she cannot it has to be light. It has to be that, like, because she's, like, almost laughing. She's so 
elated and giddy and just um, because if she gets stern, if she gets like, you know, uh, Handmaid's Tale stern with Annie, then it's all over. Yeah. It's because then it's like, okay, you're kind of scaring me now. Like if she was to grab her in a way that was like, no, listen to me. This is what like it. it's probably it's the most pivotal moment of like act three of the movie i'd say like as far as like the beginning of the end is definitely that scene and like obviously the seance and and then the seance number two at annie's house is like the opening of all that Mm. but uh, yeah it is she toes that line and like she has to be i would love to see joan Ooh, wouldn't have been great if like um like Annie goes back to her car and Joan is just like kind of skips to her car and then her face just like changes oh, like as yeah. soon as she leaves. Yeah. It, and just like kind of watches her. Like that would have been such a huge Easter, Easter egg that it would have not been worth it in a way, mm-hmm. but I would love to have seen it in my mind. Yeah, that reveal that like, and I think that's what's interesting is everything is really, again, much like Rosemary's Baby, it's from Annie's point of view. We only understand things from Annie's point of view. Yeah. And it's not until that last scene when she goes to Joan's apartment and we just, we then see what the inside of Joan's apartment looks like. Yes. Um. But yeah, I, I just, I think... I just kept thinking during that whole parking lot scene, it was like, I would fall for all of this. She oh, yes. is answering all of my skepticism before I can even say anything. You know? I know what that smile is. I know that yep, smile. Yep. And she starts to laugh and she's like, I felt it too, but trust me. Oh yeah. And, and again, it really, it's capitalizing on someone who is, is still grieving and still has a thread of hope. And if someone says there is a way that we could absolve oh, yes. some of this pain, you could have some connection. Like, you're willing to risk a lot just to see like if this is true, you know? And mm-hmm. I, oh, I just adore that scene. I, I could watch that scene over and over and just learn new things about what, and what the actress Anne Dowd is doing. Yeah. It's so delicate, but so much, there's so much weight in that scene too, because if that goes wrong, mm-hmm. cause it's all about timing too. It's like, as, as far as like what they need to accomplish, how they're going about it and like the, you know, the, I want to call it a cult. Is it a cult? Is it just yeah. like a satanic cult? Yeah. I would we'll say that's fair. That. Yeah. Um, I just like would love to see those meetings. You oh, know I what know. I mean? Like, I, not that I need to at all because I've, I've seen enough. Right. But um, yeah, and they just seem like regular everyday people too. And you see a couple of them at the funeral home and you see, you know, Joan who seems like a perfectly lovely woman who is a Satanist. It's just... You can, it's if anything, this it's like you can't trust anyone. Mm-hmm. A lot of this is like, wow, who who do I know? Right. <laughs> that's a, you know, that's a Joan, and I'm just like, it's you. It's you, yeah. It's yeah. well, and it's like, and that I think you know, the, the next scene when when Annie goes to her apartment again, and like when then even the first time she goes to her apartment, and you just see like it's such a mundane, just a building and in, in a nice little suburb, and it's mm-hmm. you know she's got a nice little like you know doormat, like there's nothing creepy about it. There's nothing inside the apartment that would, yeah, you know, set off any red flags. Like there is no hint that this woman is is part of this cult, and I yeah. I think that that's like I keep going back to Rosemary's Baby, but it's the same idea of like you have no idea. It's not people are not just walking around in black robes yelling hail Satan all the time. Yes. It's deception. It's like, I mean, that's like the, the biggest thing that I would say, like that's like her motivation throughout the entire movie for Joan is just deceive, but do it like in a way that no one will. I mean, that's <clears throat> obviously the definition of deception mm-hmm. too, but 
I it's it just wouldn't I wouldn't I'm not gonna say it wouldn't work with another actress, but it works really well with Anne Dowd, the actress Anne Dowd. The actress Anne Dowd. Um, yeah, and I and that's probably why they they went with her too. Uh, I was so happy that she was in this movie too, and had such a significant part because at first I thought she was just going to not that being a certain sort of like sidekick best friend is nothing. It's not that's nothing to scoff at, mm. but. I'm glad that it turned out to be something crazy. Yeah. And like, honestly, like I, I, I've never thought about who else I'd want to cast in that role. Oh yeah. You know, I'm, I'm perfectly satisfied. Right. It's like, well, it's like if someone else was in that role, I'd say, what about Anne Dowd? Like, that's kind of where I would go. I mean, you know, it's fun to think about some of the other BSAs we've talked about. I mean, for some reason I just thought like, what if it was Brenda Bledden, you know, like I know it'd be totally different, but I'd, I'd be yes. interested. Or what if it was Celia Weston? Oh, I mean. Yeah. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. She would She would be able to do the same things. But I think it's that darkness underneath that Ann Dowd can channel that's very specific that I don't think yeah. the other two have. Um, and that, I mean, so yeah. my question to you is we then get to the scene in, in, in Joan's apartment where they do the seance where she, you know, contacts her, her dead grandson do you think that was actually the grandson or was this all deception? As you said, was this all just an act to fool Annie and it was just who knows what, you know? Yeah. I think at this point too, I had not caught on honestly. Like I didn't want to believe it was like this cognitive dissonance that I, I didn't want to believe that Anne Dowd was evil. Yeah. And I, I wanted to believe that she could help her. And like, obviously I knew that the seance was, Something was happening, but now looking back to it, I would say it's definitely like either. Yeah, I mean, but who was it then? Is it? Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't is know. It, is it? Yeah, that's a good question. Or is that one of the perks of this cult? Is you can contact the dead and yeah, and just kind of have them do like oh god when that like the it touched um Tony Collette's hair. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would have been out of there. Oh, I know. And at the same time, it's like. Oh, but there's proof there. Then that means, yes. you know, you can draw the, the logical conclusion that like, oh, then that means that that what you're saying is true. And I could reach my dead daughter, you know, and yeah, and yeah, I would, of course, I would stay, you know, and I think that the part of that scene that that just like crawled under my skin the most and was just credit to Ann Dowd's line delivery was like, I've got your chalkboard. And it was like, oh, God, what are you going to do? Like, realizing, like, that was when I was like, oh, God, this woman is, this woman is crazy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because there isn't so much reassurance with the seance as there was in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, I I only have, like, five minutes to do this, and I need you, I need to pack every, like, as much as I can into this to see that. So, but, I mean, with that, yeah, it's like there is that, it sounds ridiculous, mm-hmm. and, but then, as soon as it starts, you see that it's not ridiculous, and then it becomes scary. And then when Tony Collette asks her to stop, she, the way that Ann Down says, what? It's oh. like this weird, like, oh, I don't know, it's, it's so such funny. a strange and, like, wonderful, like, I, I don't know if that's like the real Joan saying what, or if it's like Joan as like you know the satanic cult member saying what. But it, it just she like kind of snaps out of it. Do you, do you remember oh, that? Of it's like she's like stop, stop. She's like what? What? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> what? What? It's so funny. Yeah. That's such a great like 
like black comedy kind of moment for for that yes. to happen. You don't want this to keep going. Yeah, like what? Yeah. Like it's so heavy, and then it's just this like mundane Seinfeld kind of delivery. Yes, um, that uh, all of this, you know, and and obviously the seance scene with Annie and her family later. It's reminiscent of. I keep going back to these movies, but like Poltergeist, when mm-hmm. Diane is trying to show. Uh, Craig T. Nelson, you know, that the chairs are moving in the kitchen. Like, she's like, just watch, oh, watch, yeah. just trust me on this. Like, I, I love, you know, there's something about those moments because oftentimes in movies, someone will be like, oh my God, just trust me, just watch. And then nothing happens. And then they're mm-hmm. like, well, fuck, yes. how do I prove this? And so it's so gratifying when it does happen because you're like, yes, it's a new narrative direction than just like people being skeptical and being like, I don't believe you, you're crazy, you know? Um, and so like, I, especially like certainly in the scene with Joan, it was like, I was so excited that it was working. I was like, oh my God, it's working. Like I just, yes. it was, I got swept up in it. And, and I, I was on the same page as Annie is like, oh my God, I, all I want to do is show other people this and, and experience yes. it myself. Yeah. And that's just the power of like, obviously the script and the story too, but obviously and Dowd is the the centerpiece of all of that Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't be possible without her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I love that she, I feel like she gives Annie the candle that she's using and it's just this like candle you'd get at CVS and she's like, now here you you light the candle and then you just read this piece of, I don't know what the language is. I don't know what it is. They just told me to read it. And, uh, and, and I, I think that the, the scene, it doesn't turn towards the end of that moment, but something as new is revealed when she says, you didn't kill her. She's out there. Like, yeah. Joan starts to drop the act, the like, I know this is crazy act. And it's just, you start to see like, okay, this, this woman is like, she's not just a skeptic who was like, you know, turned a believer in one meeting. Like this is a woman who like knows what she's doing. Yeah, that's like in a way that's like the ultimate manipulation because that's probably what because it's after the fights mm-hmm. and after, you know, because she's blaming the son, the son is blaming her and like she just needs to be absolved from that in a, in a way mm-hmm. too. That's like it's the final piece of the puzzle. Yeah. As far as like, OK, I got it. Like she's just in doubt is just basically like a glorified saleswoman. Yes. You know, like she's like and that was like the whatever. I can't think of anything that's related to sales right now. You know, like signing the contract or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, yeah. so, something like that. She got the but verbal it, agreement. It was, yeah. Yeah. Because that just le- like if there was anything that she was doubting, doubting, doubting um, yeah. that Annie was doubting um, that could have maybe like have her like set that brochure aside because how do you that's the last thing that she could do she can't do anything else like maybe she could she would follow up a week later like oh did you try it Annie did mm-hmm, you try it mm-hmm. like she might bump into her at the supermarket or something but um yeah and then shit goes down yeah and that's really I mean I, w- I wouldn't say that's the last we see of Anne but she I mean she has like four or five scenes in the movie and that's her last big scene and then yeah. the next time we see her is is yelling at Peter across the street and uh, and then at the end, she you know we don't we never get like a focus shot of her, but we get you know when Peter arrives in the treehouse and Joan is Joan. She's like, hey, it's okay, it's all right, everything's okay. And she puts the crown on his head, and she's it's I, I take a drink every time I refer to Rosemary's Baby or Poltergeist, but no, but it is, sim- it is. yeah, it's similar to the in the end of Poltergeist, you know, Minnie. She's like, you know, let me get you a cup of tea. It's just plain old Lipton's. Like she's, Minnie yes. is still Minnie at the end, you know? Mm-hmm. And 
I think that that's even more insidious, that we get that dark moment of her yelling at Peter, but then in the end, Joan is still Joan, and uh, this is just, like, this is just what she does, and and she is ostensibly a nice lady, you know? Yeah. And is even, like, comforting in this moment, but then I think, you know, when she gets into that, like, you know, I, I resisted it, like, I think the first time of, like, oh, I feel like we're getting a full explanation in the last two minutes of everything that I didn't mm-hmm. necessarily need, but watching it again, it didn't bother me as much to kind of just get, like, she kind of needed to explain to Peter, like, and, and hearing her say, you know, you're one of the eight kings of hell. And it was like, oh, God. Like, it, it just the, yeah. the revelation of that and um, the, the just kind of like the ceremony of that that she starts leading. And you realize by the end that she's a fucking leader. Like, she's not just yeah. this, this, you know, dotty, dotty, dowdy lady. She's like, she's the one leading the ceremony. And it's like, yeah, fuck, like. I mean, that's this is where we are. This is where yeah. we are. Like, okay. Um, oh God, and out. I, I yeah. And my, my last note that I that I wrote all in caps is OMG is Joan the villain? Mm. <laughs> Question mark. Yeah, yeah. And I just had to type it um, as a note because it's. I, and I don't know when that was, but it, it took me a while. One, because I just didn't want to believe it, but obviously two, until I really kind of. It's like you don't know until you know. And I, it probably was the apartment scene mm-hmm. when they show everything. And I was like, no, yeah. no, because they pan back and everything's on the table and you don't know what it means. And then you see like Charlie's figurines and then Peter's picture with like his eyes poked out. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I was like, I'm glad we didn't see that happen. I don't know if that's I don't know if that happened after the movie ends that he gets his eyes poked out. But I don't need any eye violence. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think watching it again, like once you know everything, then it's like, oh yeah. Like Joan is the villain the way Minnie Castavet is the villain in that like mm-hmm. none of this would be possible if she did not deceive the main character and did not worm her way into their into her life. You know, like she's yes. the vehicle for all of this. And so I guess that would kind of make her you know, quote unquote, the villain. Yeah. And it's just enough too, because there's like a line that Tony Collette has with Gabriel Byrne later in the movie. She's like, you remember my friend Joan? And he's like, who? Mm -hmm. It's like, he doesn't really, I mean, it's the perfect situation because no one, it's like, no one takes responsibility for what they've done. (laughs) But like, no one also communicates too. Like there is absolutely, it's, and this is like, I'm kind of borrowing from the podcast and just everything that I, I've listened to and consumed about Hereditary in the past four days, but um, that it's it's such, a, the dollhouse is such a perfect set piece too, because everyone is sort of being manipulated by this outside force mm. and they have no control. But there there's, there's also this like sense of uh, solitude that every single person in the family just does their own thing. Yeah. And no one's really close. Like the, f- the idea of them all sitting down for dinner just doesn't even seem right to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Ari Aster, he describes this movie as a drama, no, a family drama that ends up turning into a nightmare. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is like, I knowing that we were going to do like once we decided to do this i thought well you know hereditary is definitely way more of a family drama that i think 
because of that, the last 10 minutes are so scary because it's like we go from a movie that implies a lot and kind of lives in the world of grief and family dysfunction to just all out horror. And I think yeah. it's like you, you, I know for myself, even watching it this time, that it was so jarring when things got so fucked up because I was just like, oh, God, we haven't been in this territory for a while, you know? And Yeah. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like there's that – yeah. The, any any of the scenes of of Annie floating through the house or you know hiding up in the Whoa. against the ceiling even this time like when they had that shot and you could see her up against the ceiling I squealed I was like oh she's up there and it's like I know I, <laughs> she's up she's up there. there and it just and it and because as you said it wasn't a jump shot it just lingered I just had to sit there like with it crawling under my skin yeah oh, yes it just yes, yes. Oh, and and it just and then from there it's just so rapid i mean like the chase scene up to the attic is so fast oh god and but like in some ways i love a good chase scene but i think if that was any longer i wouldn't be able to handle it you know yeah and the fact that i mean i will this is something i so the last couple nights have been interesting just me trying to fall asleep <laughs> and just like talk myself out of it and think of like happy thoughts mm-hmm. you know and the first jumanji. night that i watched it jumanji yeah it's not, it's, nothing is real this is not this is not real um it, the first night it was actually okay the second night i got a little freaked out because um there was like a car alarm that went off on our street at like 1 a.m and there was like a lot of noise and then like once i got settled back in the bed i was like up mm-hmm. and i was like fuck and i was just like looking at all the shadows in my room and i, I was like every time i'd open my eyes i would just expect to see like something it's just but one thing that keeps popping up in my mind is Tony Collette banging her head off of that attic yeah. door. Yeah. Like what a choice that was because it could easily be her pounding with her fist. Mm-hmm. But I I mean I simultaneously love it and hate it. Yeah. Like I I it's so disturbing. Yeah. I think that was even more disturbing than her like jabbing herself in the neck with wires. Like for some reason, I know I should be the most like horrified at that, mm-hmm. but I can take that. I can take like blood. Mm-hmm. I just can't take supernatural crazy shit. Yeah. Which is like the last 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. That, Ugh. the pounding against the attic door, it's so. It, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. It's so aggressive and like you just want it to stop. Whereas when she's sawing her neck you know with with piano wire in uh, against the the attic roof or the attic ceiling it's like it's it, it just has a different feeling it's more like oh my god versus like oh god i just want it to stop which you know and i think i i had that same feeling um you know and then like i i think all of the scenes in the attic i think then when he when Alex turns, Alex, when Peter turns and he sees the people like in the attic and then he just dives out the window, like the pacing of that was just so, again, it was so fast, but that was what made it so scary. It was just like, I, I think Ari Aster was so smart in knowing where to linger and then where to like just brush by something, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's like, take your time with these things, but this is, cause that's, I would imagine if I was in that situation that I would want to just get out of there. And mm-hmm. that was really the only place. It, and it's very exorcist in that way too mm-hmm. as well. Just like jumping out. It's like, well, I'm, I, there's no way out of this. So goodbye. Yeah. 
there's i mean uh i I don't think you you would not be able to handle it, but one of my favorite movies is the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I know. It's like I thought of that. I was like, okay, maybe for like October we could do another. (laughs) But I don't know. I don't know if I can. I think I would would – need a moment it's really scary it really is and the the main uh the you know final girl sally uh Mm -hmm. the actress marilyn burns it is just such a stunning performance and just so it's one of my favorite movie performances I, i like i've rarely seen such realistic portrayals of someone just going through absolute terror but she she jumps through two windows in that movie one is a second floor you know window and then there's another one Oh, it is just the most god awful scene where there's an infamous like uh, dinner scene where she's like tied down to a table and it's like the family is all having dinner. That's uh, you know human remains. It doesn't like look like they're yes. friends, but you know that's what it is. And then it's time to kill her, <clears throat> and she. It's this like two minute sequence of her of them holding her over like a metal bucket and having the re. I don't know. He's like dead, but then he comes back to life. The grandfather holding a a sledgehammer and trying to hit her in the head with it. And it keeps missing and dropping into the bucket. And it's just, and she's screaming and it's just, it is, it's, it it is so effective and so terrifying, but she finally breaks free. And it's the same feeling of like, she's just like, and she just turns and runs and dives out the living room window. And it is so, it's, it's a sim. And I don't know if this was at all an homage to that, but it is, it is the exact same feeling. Like if I was Sally in that moment, that's exactly what I would do. I would dive out the fucking living room window. Yeah. And she gets away in the end because I just feel like it's worth, it's like, I know. Yeah, yeah. I know. I've, I've listened to the, in the details. So I know that much. I knew about the windows and I knew that she gets away, but it's also like the, that's the most terrifying part is the aftermath of her. Oh, you know, she's insane. What comes next? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The tagline of the movie was who will survive and what will be left of them. It's, it's right. And, and it's incredible, but I felt the same way with this scene of like, yup, dive out that fucking window. (laughs) Yes. Get me out of but here. that was to kind of I mean, I want I guess we should go back and talk about Tony before mm-hmm. we talk about the ending too. I and to kind of just steer things back uh to I mean obviously there's the dinner scene too, but the the group therapy scenes yeah. too are so great and like the pacing with that and how she works her way through just saying, you know, like, oh, when she says, I am blamed, Mm -hmm. the way that she says that, and, and like, she, like, reaches out at, like, the guy leading the conversation. I don't know what he's called in that sense, but... The uh, group moderator, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's so many great choices, like, with how she says things as well, but just, like, in general, it's, it's just... I I I was I stood with you in solidarity as far as before I seen this movie like that I just I trusted your judgment mm. that she should have been nominated for an Oscar for this, but after seeing this it it is so clear and I know I'm bleeding into that last topic so we'll save it again but um well I was concerned that was my biggest concern was watching I was like did I play this up too much is Nick gonna come back and say yeah she was good I don't know if it was like <laughs> as like maybe maybe it wasn't quite what you. The, the praises you sung for it, but I'm glad to hear it's I, I like, I have never seen Tony Collette like this. Yeah. I've rarely seen a major, like again, I think the reason I would bring up Texas Chainsaw Massacre is because I've rarely seen a performance like that in a movie where mm-hmm. someone just goes to that 
that extreme. And I think Tony Collette is, I mean, there's so many moments. I think the most, the, the one that sticks with me and just haunts me and just like breaks me is after she finds Charlie's body and that scene mm. in the bedroom when she's just like, you know, keening on the floor screaming and the, the, the script of like, oh, it's too much. I just want to die. It's it hurts too much. And like, I can't. I can't. Yeah. Uh, it's I. You know, I, I kept thinking about the 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 creation of that scene, and I kept thinking of like Tony Collette and Gabriel Byrne being in that moment together. And it, there's no close up, so in a way, they're like alone in that room. And I thought, God, like this is just two actors like going into a moment together, and there's no one else around them, you know, and and what that must have been like to be like, you know, Tony and Gabriel being like, all right, you ready to do this? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Like quiet on the sets. Yeah. You know, uh, and go and go, you know, like action. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, that just like is devastating. I've so rarely seen grief, like shown that raw in a movie. Yeah. It's so primal in a way. Like when I wrote down in my notes too, it's almost like she's giving birth to her grief. Oh God. Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's like the, and with her, like the way that she's like, I've just seen so many hospital scenes of like, you know, women giving birth at home and the guys like rubbing her back and she's like, it hurts too much. I can't. Mm -hmm. And it's like so much of what the grief of her mother and everything else that she's been holding in this whole entire time has just been, it's, it's, it's being born and yeah. just being let out in a way that like she can't stop to. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, I liked that analogy of, and it looks like she is giving birth and like giving birth to grief is such a delicious like set of words right? too. But, um, but yeah, I, I was, I, I think I had seen that on YouTube as well before. Mm-hmm. That was maybe the other scene that I had seen too. But I did not know how that whole scene was set up. Mm-hmm. The fact that, um, oh God, I mean, we have to talk about Alex Wolf in that scene. Yeah. Like, he's incredible. I, I was so, like, I, I, I mean, Tony and Anne Dowd are like the queens of this movie, but like his performance is right up there. Mm-hmm. Like he's just as important. And obviously like he has so much to go through as well that like the fact, like just that close up of him after it happens, the fact that he cannot look and he, and he doesn't mm-hmm. and he just is like frozen, but drives home, parks the car and just, he doesn't go to bed. How can you? Yeah. And then like she, I, I, I just, it sounds sick to say, but I love how that was set up. I love that Tony Collette found out in that way because how could you, as opposed to some like panic, like cell phone call on the side of the road, yeah, like it, it is so much more impactful. Mm-hmm. And the fact um, that like it's left to our imagination of her opening the car door, getting in, and yes, and you don't see it, you don't Ugh. see it, and then you just hear her start screaming, and it's oh, it it's, I think because it's left to our imagination, it's so much worse. And then the only reveal we have is of her head on the side of the road. I know, covered in flies oh. and maggots. Oh, God. But also, like, the script, like, what she says right before it all happened, like, I'm going to go to the store, I'll be back. Uh, you know, it's it's just this mundane yep. sort of language that she says just every day. And I was... And, as a viewer, you know, it's like, oh, my God, she has no idea yeah. still. Yeah. And that was just our indication that she doesn't know. And obviously, like, then she knows. It's, yeah, it's like moments before, you know, disaster strikes. And it, it's yes. just, 
Oh yeah, I I think the way that the the screaming then flows into the the giving birth to grief on the floor scene, like it just, you know, I was watching, <clears throat> and I meant to send it to you, but I was watching this like interview with Emma Thompson because you know obsessed, and it was yes. this great like eleven minute interview on on YouTube, and you know talking about different things, and one of the things I think the interview interviewer had asked like what's some of the best advice you got, and I think it was like James Merchant, one of, one of the directors, I think of like Howard's End. And he had said, if you're going to cry in a movie, cry once, you know, like make it worth it. And like, because obviously if you're charting somebody's life, there's many times where somebody's going to cry, but like in a movie, that's going to feel like too much. And I think that hereditary, uh, forgive me, Queen Emma, but hereditary is the exception to that rule. The Tony Collette cries so many times in this movie it, like is it, it's like sometimes she's not crying sometimes she's not upset and and it works for me i think it it yeah. it's so and i and it really kind of kicks off with that with that moment from there like she's so emotionally unstable and i think that is part of what's so unsettling about hereditary is just how like on on edge annie is the entire time how quick she is to just start dissolving and Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because we're so much with her and her narrative, it like, I, like I sympathized with it. It never felt like too much. I never felt like Tony Collette was doing too much in this movie. Yeah, no, I think everything is justified. Yeah. Uh, I think that, uh, you can't tell anyone how to react in that situation, nor have like, I ever seen that happen in real life too. So the fact that it just went to that collapsing on the floor i can't get up it hurts so much i mm-hmm. want to die like yeah that that all makes sense yeah that all sort of adds up yeah um another tony collette moment that i really loved is when she first meets joan and she says out loud my daughter was killed mm-hmm. and you know that that was the first time those words have left her mouth to another person yeah yeah and the way that she kind of just sits with that in the car i was like "Ooh, tony you are <sighs> yeah where's that oscar nom where i just nom? don't know i know and you know I, in terms of the script work for her for annie to say my daughter was killed and not my daughter died there is that yes. implication of she's blaming oh, god she's blaming peter for this you know yeah um which of course i think we have to talk about the dinner table scene yeah let's get we into have it. to i mean it is I think I've watched it and listened to it and played the clip of it on, on in the details so many times that it's become, and I've seen <laughs> memes of it and like, you know, that it, it it's become its own singular thing. But I remember the first time seeing this and, and it just, I, I could not believe it was like, it was like, I won the movie lottery. I won the acting choices lottery. You know, yes, and yes. My only complaint about this scene is the same complaint I have about Beatrice Strait's scene in Network. It's like stop cutting to other people. Let me just see her act. You know, yeah. And yeah. I understand. Like, it, there's so much about like that moment of seeing Steven's reaction, seeing Peter taking this, like the brunt of this. But it's like every moment I'm like, every time, every time they cut to one of them, it's like a lip sync on drag race. I'm like, get away from the judges, go back to the lip sync. Yeah. I don't want to see Michelle Visage lip syncing. Yeah. I didn't come here for that. And, um, but I think, I think where it matters, we do see Tony. I mean, like one of my, I mean, obviously my favorite is, is the, is the end of it, but I, 
I wanted the line. There's two moments I love. Every moment I love. But I'm obsessed <laughs> with like, and what a waste. And the way she does yes. that. Oh, oh, with the hands and the way, like that is the only way to read that line, you know? Mm-hmm. And the other thing I love is the the escalation or, you know, de-escalation of like, um, uh, you know, that you can't take back what you did. And I know you're sorry. Or, and I know it's painful. And I wish I could take that away from you. Like she pulls back and she pulls back, but that can't take away that what you did, what, you know, like I'm, I'm terribly paraphrasing. I should have written it all down. No, no. Yes. But it is such an aria, you know, like she, she go like, even within this meltdown, she hits different levels and it's not all one direction, you know? Mm-hmm. I, there's so many up uh, yeah it is it is like this aria of uh grief and anger and just dissatisfaction with her son too and everything else and like that dinner is just she's almost like a teenager at the beginning yep. just poking her food and being like so just like Ugh. yeah Ugh. you know and then it's almost like Peter is like the parent like what's wrong mom do you want to say something like he's he's taking the lead too and he, he because they, they just need a release. Yeah. I mean, all of them just need a re- I mean, Gabriel Byrne's just kind of like chilling. But I do like that one moment of Gabriel Byrne where she said, uh, where I think I wrote it down, but it's just saying like, and now she's dead. And the way that she says dead mm-hmm. and the way that he kind of like winces when she says that too, it's like he there is more to like, I mean, there's just not a lot there uh, his, for him to do. Yeah, his grief is so much quieter. His it's a it's a role that can disappear very quickly, and I think he's you know, and we're only kind of given hints later on that you know when he cries in the car or when he's drinking at the office of like yes, he's dealing with this in his own way. But I kind of think he has to be more muted and a smaller energy because otherwise it would just be too much. Balance and it has to balance out Annie, you know. Yeah, and one of my, I think it's so perfect that they included that small scene where he um, tells Peter, "Don't forget to sign up for the SATs." Mm. And it's, I just think that's so like, as far as just like getting back to life. Like, I know you killed your sister like a week ago, but you also need to get into college. Or <laughs> like, at right. least it feels too soon. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be too soon. And he just kind of like walks up the stairs like a zombie, Peter, and just like is like, okay yeah uh fine yeah what are the sats yeah yeah it's yeah um and so the i feel like you know there's with the dinner table monologue there's like uh there's different like peaky moment there's like almost hitting the top almost hitting 27 there's like a 24 when she's like but you can't take responsibility for anything uh and now i and i love that like now i can't forgive and i can't like she it's Mm. But it, the definition of going to a 27 and yeah. I, I, this is the moment that like, when you talk about like being frozen in your place and everything's tingling <laughs> is when she says, because nobody uh, admits to anything they've done. And her eyes yes. like go like, I, I have watched that moment more times than I've looked in a mirror in the past year. <laughs> like it is, I just, that was when it was. I was done. I was like, I cannot believe you, Tony. I cannot believe you just did that. How dare you? How yes. dare you? How, like, one of my will always be one of my favorite acting choices is because is uh, because nobody admits anything they've done, and that and the done and the face and the hands and the eyes. Oh, 
I don't know where this woman's Oscar is. I don't know why Reese Witherspoon is shining an Oscar on her mantle for Walk the Line, and Tony Collette's like, well, I've got these Golden Globes or whatever she's I got in know. home. You no, know? gosh, I. Does she have Golden Globes, Colin? That's what makes me the most crazy. I'm gonna look it up as we talk. I mean, I don't. I know that she won some like you know smaller awards. It might be. For... Oh, you know what? It's probably for United States of Terror. Mm-hmm. She probably won like a Golden Globe. So yeah, an Emmy. Um, yeah. But for Hereditary, I mean, I like feel like the biggest one I knew of was like the Gotham Spirit Award. Uh, but you know, yeah. But yes, she was not nominated for any of the big like, Critics' Choice, Screen Actors Guild, um, obviously, Golden Globes or Oscars, and like, I just don't know what more an actress needs to do. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like when Adele beat Beyonce that year at the Grammys oh, yeah. for, for Lemonade. It's like, okay. Yeah. And like Adele had a great speech that was basically like, I can't accept this because I I don't deserve this. And Beyonce does. Mm-hmm. And it's like this beautiful moment. I watched that acceptance speech over the weekend. Right. That's what I do. Um, but yeah, it's like, what else? What what does Beyonce need to do to win Album of the Year? And what does Toni Collette need to do to win a fucking Oscar? Right. Or... Like, I appreciate that Olivia Coleman apologized to Glenn Close that year at the Oscars for winning Best Actress, but I just wanted yes. to say, and to, and to Tony Collette, uh, I apologize. Oh, oh, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, like, oh, here we go. Yep. Oh, 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 here we go. Um, you know, I just, <laughs> raspberry, yeah. Like, I, I, I just needed someone to be like, Tony Collette, I'm sorry. You deserved at least a nomination, you know? Was it that year? It was. I'm that pretty year. sure it was that year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yikes! And I can't remember all the nominees. I know that Gaga was there. I know that um, the girl, uh, the woman from um, Roma, was nominated. Mm-hmm. It was um, uh, the woman from Roma. It was Roma. It was uh, Lady Gaga. It was the wife. It was Olivia Coleman in the Queen or in. Uh, mm-hmm. Not the queen, not the, the favorite. The favorite. Uh, yes. And I can't remember who else, but yeah, it, it was not Tony Collette. I know. Uh, so, but I, and I, I just feel like if we were, it would go back to a, uh, you know, or an alternate universe where Tony's a nominee and when they show a little clip, you know, the little Oscar reel moment, that would have been the moment. That would have been the moment they would have oh, shown. Oh, yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. I, I just, in some strange way, I love that, like, we know what should have been. Yep. And, like, when you find someone else that agrees with you, you hang on to that person. Yes. <laughs> like, at least you trust them a little bit more and their taste for, like, beautiful Oscar performances by leading ladies or supporting. Yeah. And that matter, too. Um, because it really is just that. It's, like, anyone who... like I think you tweeted this last week. Mm-hmm. It's your barometer of... Uh, how did you word yeah, it? Yeah, like, if we have anything in common, it's, like, your response... Your, how you respond to the phrase Tony Collette and Hereditary. Um, yes. It is, like, that is, like... That's gonna tell me, like, if we have anything in common, you have similar feelings, a similar reaction to the expression slash future tote bag, Tony Collette and Hereditary. Yeah. Tony Collette and Hereditary. Yeah. Ugh, that's the tweet. That's Send the tweet. tweet. Yeah. Um, you know what I really picked up this time because I, I, you know, obviously there's she she just from you know the seance. I mean every like she just is so at, at such a pitch at such like a fevered pitch in so much of this movie. But I think what really stood out to me this time that I have not been appreciating enough is when she's asking Steve to burn 
uh, Charlie's little notebook. Yes. And yes. how she just starts falling apart. And she's like, please, please just do it. Please, would you just please do it? And she's just, I, again, like, I just, I think about these two actors working together. And, like, Gabriel Byrne's role in the movie is obviously smaller, but he has to, like, absorb everything mm-hmm. that, it just, like, your body doesn't know you're acting, right? So, like, his body does not know that he's just acting in a scene with this Australian actress, Tony Collette. Like, she is there's so much emotional energy she's spilling out on him in those scenes and i not to give all the the credit or focus to him but it's just i'm so fascinated by it you know it can be so precious to talk about acting but in those moments i'm so fascinated by like what actors have to do or where they have to go to be able to like you know exist listen and respond yeah and also not respond because that it's a lot of not responding yeah yeah he with words mm -hmm. at least yeah, especially in those scene in that scene, he's just like he he's shutting down. And uh, I mean, I'd seen an interview or I'd read one with Tony Collette where someone was like, you know, how did you do these scenes? Like, it's just so emotional. Like, you know, how, wh- how did you do this? And she was just like, well, it's just acting. I was just acting. It's just you know, yeah. that's all it is. Like, she's just so fucking cool. She's like, yeah, whatever. It was just a performance. Whereas. You know, other actors are like, oh, I just had to go lay down and, you know, it took so much out of me. And she was just yeah. like, it was performance. She's like, I stopped at Arby's on the way home yeah. and got some curly fries. Totally. You know? And I was back to normal. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only thing I'd read was like, yeah, she, um, you know, she had, she like, like worked out a lot and like, you know, she had to keep moving, she said, while filming this movie. And I think that makes sense. You have to keep moving this energy out of yeah. your body because otherwise you're, it's like, you up at 1 a.m. just sitting with this with this experience, you know? Oh, yeah. And and th- that those last, I mean, the Gabriel Byrne scene, too, like you talked about before, and this is probably the m- even more satisfying version of that, is when she went up in the attic and found her mother's body. Mm-hmm. And, like, and she's like, you have to go up there and see. You have to go. And as soon as I saw the flies coming out of the attic, I was like, oh, thank God it's real. It's not yeah. something she just made up. And he sees it and he screams or, like, says something. But... The entire, like, journey down to the living room as she's explaining, like, what's going on and watching him, it's, like, it's almost like this fake out, too, that, like, I thought he was in on it Mm. because, like, quiet husband turns on wife or whatever it was. Like, somehow he was, like, connected to all this because he just gives her a look, like okay, I'm going to wait for you to finish and then I have, I'm going to say something to you that's going to like rock your world. But he never does. Right. He, he just says, he finally says like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And then she, okay, IMDB, I got a bone to pick with you because I looked up on the IMDB's, oh, sorry, on the hereditary page of IMDB, um, that is the, the, like the screen grab of Tony Collette and Gabriel Byrne, like, or, or Gabriel Byrne on fire. Yeah. And you can't, you don't know it's him, but like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, God damn it. I was like, well, now I know that's going to happen whenever they're in the living room and they're by that fireplace. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know that, that kind of spoiled that for me. And I was like, ah, cause that would have been another like shock. Yeah. It was in the trailer too. And people, Oh, it was. Yeah. And the, okay. the, the marketing and the trailer of the movie were kind of, uh, credited for faking you out to think that Charlie was a bigger part of the story. And it was kind of like oh. with psycho where like you didn't know that Janet Lee was going to get killed in the shower 45 minutes in. And yeah. I appreciated that. And I definitely did not, I neither I nor Charlie saw that telephone pole coming. So it was <laughs> yes. very shocking. But I did kind of know because of the trailer that that once we got to that same thing as you said, like once we were in that living room, I was like, okay, well, 
I know what's going to happen to him. Uh, the ironically named Gabriel Byrne. <laughs> I know who is sort of, I feel like I've seen him in something where he plays the devil. Like, I feel like he is so, he just looks that part. Yeah. So it's like this, I don't know, this uh, like red herring that never, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I, I I'm just, I'm so fascinated by him and his role too. But like, it just is, it's just that it's just like, he's there. He's the husband. He's a little bit emotionally disconnected. And like, that's, that's pretty much all he is. I mean, there's mm-hmm. more of course, beneath the surface that we could probably really dig into, but it's like, why would we, when there's all these other like incredible performances? Too? Right. Yeah. It is. It is certainly the most, I, I forget about him the most after this movie's over when I watch it again, I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah. Gabriel Burns in this. Um, yeah. yeah. He, both he and, and Tony Collette were executive producers on the movie. So at least, you know, ooh. you know, they were involved in other ways. And I also think sure. I had read that there is like a longer, like over three hour version of this movie that had a lot of family scenes cut that probably gave him a little more meat on the bone. I guess that's true. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and kind of toggling back to Peter, um, Alex Wolf is that his name? Yeah, Alex Wolf. Mm-hmm. Like those, those cl- that classroom scene, and I love that. Like when we were talking about it last week, you're like, "Yeah, it's scary," but I think like one of the scariest things is like you know someone bangs their head against a desk, and that was like the scariest thing <laughs> yeah. for you. I was like, "Well, you left out everything else. <laughs> <laughs> you left out Tony Collette hiding in the corner of a room, oh, and like yeah. being possessed and chasing her son around the house and banging her head off the like." I mean, that was a bang, but, like, that was terrifying, though. Yeah. Like, his... I don't know how he did that. And I also... Ari Aster did say that he stayed um, in character the whole time. He was very mm-hmm. method, mm-hmm. which I feel is unusual for someone that age. But that also is, like... And he kind of... He had, like, a really good, like, addition to that. He's like, it's really great as a director because, you're, you are you know, you're just talking to Peter the whole time. But I would just be like, come on, dude. Like, snap out of it. But everyone has their process. Yeah. Right. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis. off. You know? Yeah, my left sure. Foot. Yeah. Um, you know, but the thing is, I always hear about, like, male actors doing that. I don't really hear of, like, women yes. doing that. You know? Or you can just act. You know? Right. Right. That's that whole Laurence Olivier quote from yes. the uh, running, no, Marathon Man, where... Dustin Hoffman was just, yeah, was was going to such extremes, such method extremes. And Lawrence Olivier, Olivier was like, well, have you ever just considered acting? Which, yeah, Tony Collette. It's such a burn. Yeah. yeah but it, yeah, it's like, yeah, it, I love that it's like Tony Collette, the woman, you know, the, the main actress in the movie, be, who has the heaviest lifting being like, well, you, you could just act. That's also yes. an option. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when they, when he's kind of, I mean, Another part where I just got like full body chills is when he looks over to the left and that like glass door mm-hmm. and his reflection smiles back at him. I'm so glad that that's all that that reflection did. If he did, and like, you know, if his eyes got like all Beetlejuice oh. and like flung out like that too, like I would have passed out, I think. Yeah, but yeah. I love that the simplicity and like in that and it that it's also it's just as effective you don't really need all the bells and whistles for that you just need him to smile in a really creepy way and then just that whole scene and like how no one in the classroom knows what to do i love that like wide shot of everyone just like frozen and there's just like one kid like filming it on his cell phone right it's I know that that scene, I mean, I, yeah, credit to Alex Wolf. He goes to a 27, especially in that scene and just 
I mean, I, ugh, I just, it's, I, I just appreciate how hard and how like intense and how much of a commitment that is when an actor goes there of like, oh, yeah, like that's, that is not easy. And again, like I, I always think of, I remember seeing a clip, it was like a behind the scenes clip or a making of of the movie Monster with Charlize Theron. And there was some, you know, behind the scenes footage of her. And they, they were kind of talking about how like this role was really hard for her. And it was a shot of her just like walking away in the distance and like the, the director going to like walk with her and talk to her. And you just knew that like, Ooh, she's, she's having a hard time right now. And I always, I, I have yeah. to find that again. Cause it, it always stuck with me to think of like, yeah, that was a, that was such an intense role. And I think of an actor just being like, I'm sorry, I need a moment. Like I can't, mm-hmm. I can't function right now. I, I, I don't think that that's fake. I think that that's very much real. And like, it's interesting yes. to watch actors process that. Oh yeah. Um, this is uh, not going to surprise anyone, but I've never seen monster. Colin. Oh yeah. That I is, need, I need to, I need to put that on the list. The list. Um, oh. uh, the, ne- the ever growing list. Yeah. That is, I mean, it, Charlize Theron is incredible. She just, I yeah. just, it's such a transformation. Oh yeah. That's a I'm great excited. movie. Um, well, I the, the only thing I'll say in terms, you know, I, I I really love Hereditary. I mean, I I appreciate that I do not like, and I had to look it up to confirm that the dog does indeed not survive. I know. I saw that, and I was like, Colin wouldn't show me. I know. Where the dog dies. I know. But I'm glad that they showed it in the way that they did show it. I guess mm-hmm. too. It was it was very much in passing. We don't ever have to see any any moment of it happening. There's just a glimpse, and it was funny because I was thinking I'd already looked it up, and I was thinking just before they showed the dog that I was like, oh, they they never really do show if the dog. Oh, they do. Okay, and I you know yeah. it is my biggest complaint. I I never want to you know do whatever you want to the human beings, children included, but like do not hurt the animals. You know, <laughs> yeah, I um, know. Not okay. Does the dog die? Dot com. That's yeah. where I went. Yeah. Yes. Um, but but yeah. I just want to talk real, just like real briefly about this ending too, because I, once I watched the video of what was actually happening on YouTube and like explain, like I got it, I got it. Mm. Um, but as far as like, obviously Peter jumps out the window, but it is kind of like it's a big fall, mm-hmm. but like. I don't know. It's not on concrete. It's in the flower bed, too, which I'm like, well, maybe he's still alive. And I don't know if that was like a conscious choice or not. But like, obviously, he was hurt Mm -hmm. because he felt like face down. And then you see like his soul leave his body like there's like a darkness. And it's so interesting that like Payman, 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 Payman is represented by like this white light because it's it's kind of the opposite. I feel like that should have been maybe those those colors should have been flipped you know like Mm -hmm. the white light is his soul leaving the body and the darkness is like seeping in and then my other thing is like just talking this out is like uh so he is payment he is pain like if 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 like if i was a like in a host Mm -hmm. like i'd be like cool ready i know exactly what's going on here where's ann dowd let's go up there right and like the fact that i had to it's like when Ann Dowd explains to us what's happening, it's like, wouldn't Payman know he's Payman? You know, like, ah, finally, a male form. Mm. Like, ah, ha, ha, ha. That's interesting. But it's, yeah. It, it's, it's like it has to be explained to the, the viewer what happened. And maybe there's like a, sort of like a settling in period for, you know, one of the eight kings of hell or seven kings of hell. Like, it, like they don't realize it at first mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, 
So I was confused by that too. And I also thought that Toni Collette was still alive. <laughs> I don't know why. Even though we just saw her like stab her neck like 7,000 times. I was like, oh, she's she's still there? It's like, but yeah. her body was just being collected in a way to, to kind of go up there, which that was creepy as fuck too. Oh, yeah. That tree house. That tree house. Oh. I mean, like every time I see that scene, and I think I've only watched it two or three times now, it's just all of the elements. Like her, like... Uh, yeah, I don't fully understand the, the the sort of mythos of all this or the the narrative behind it, but I think just the idea of like there's her mother's headless body, there's Annie's headless body, there's Charlie's head on the body of this like you know figure, um, yes, and then you know and and it's and that they needs a male body, you know, and so yes, and so finally like it's able to possess his body, and I think I I guess yeah, I mean I think after. Uh, Steven was killed then clearly like Annie is possessed by Payman and yes. um and then once Annie kills herself then that the the spirit of Payman moves into uh, into Peter and then yeah I mean I feel like by the end he's he's Peter but he's Payman now like it's I see what you're saying like you wouldn't need it's to it's ex- like split maybe I yeah guess. So, yeah I, I don't know because he probably still has to function in the world mm-hmm. and I think about you know Annie's brother and how he said that you know he killed himself because he felt like his mother was putting people inside of him and yes. so there is that and that and and you know that sense of that her mother had this you know uh dissociative identity disorder and the idea that there are multiple identities I, I think it mm-hmm. I could understand that being the explanation of like Peter, you are now also payment, you know, like I, again, and it makes me think of Rosemary's baby where they have to explain oh, yeah. to Rosemary. It's exactly that. Yeah. The, just the pacing of that scene and the quietness of mm-hmm. that scene is so similar. But here's my last thing that I'll say too, is like, um, maybe not my last thing, but wouldn't, okay. So Charles, the son killed himself. Why didn't payment just go in the Charles's body after he killed himself? You know what I mean? Like what? maybe they didn't have the three beheadings that they needed or something like that. Cause mm. I know that's like a prerequisite for like how this works. And like mm-hmm. you, you I, I'm perfectly fine with like letting all this go. I'm just trying to think. Cause like once Peter died, Payman was like, I'm going in. Yeah. But like, why, why didn't Payman do that to Charles when he killed? Him? I could just picture like Annie's mother, like opening the door, like, Ooh, he's dead. Payman. Right. Come on. You know, it's just yeah. like dinner's ready. Well, I think that uh, like, I think it has to be a living host. I don't think Peter died when he jumped out the window. I, I know. So maybe that's it. Yeah. Maybe that's it. I think Charles killed himself before it could all happen. And, Got it. And then, you know, Charlie, you know, then I, I feel like the idea was like Charlie was maybe always possessed with this in some way. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a whole, I know that Ari Aster figured out all of the narrative of this behind the scenes, but as much as they do kind of explain it at the end, it's still not entirely clear. And I'm, I'm also kind of okay with that as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, it's, and then, I mean, I just, I love the juxtaposition of the movie ending and then it's, judy collins singing both sides now i just yes oh my god it's perfect uh, it's and of course there's there's hidden meaning in that as well and um oh it's god hereditary yeah so i mean i know we're wrapping up here too but what why i feel like this movie was a success Mm -hmm. in, in like the general term too but like we can we can say maybe commercial success or however you want to define that but like as far as critically a success too. I think I don't see, I, I know the ending is a little bonkers, 
but like just the filmmaking itself too and i know this is his first film so maybe people are like hesitant to give him you know all these awards for you know a debut it wasn't his first film but it was his first like big thing that happened to him too so what are your thoughts on that you know i think about the oscar voters i have to think about who's actually voting and like you know these you know old white people you know and it's like oh this might be a little too hardcore for them whereas something like the favorite or the wife it's like yeah that's a little more accessible for that crowd i think you know horror movies in general do not get a lot of recognition at awards time because i think there's a lot of reasons why i think people discount them um but i think oftentimes horror movies you know texas chainsaw massacre being a great example bring out such intense performances and such mm-hmm. powerful displays of acting um so i just, i think there's something about that like the darkness of this movie that people it, it was maybe hard to kind of like fully appreciate you know i mean i think it was definitely a yeah. success it was a criti- critical and commercial success but um yeah i i just think i go back to like well who's doing the voting and um, and to your point, I kind of, I think there is something I kind of love about the fact that it's not nominated, you know, there weren't nominations that Tony Collette wasn't nominated. There's a sense of her being robbed. It, yes. it makes it stand out even more. Whereas like we were just talking about who all the Oscar nominees were and we couldn't even remember all of them. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. That's how I justify it is like the lack of appreciation. I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. Like that makes that, me And that's what more. Keon said too, that it's you know, it's a movie about the devil, you know, or at least like hell. And like, sometimes that just doesn't go over well yeah. with people as far as like awarding something like that. Um, not that there would be like any backlash per se too, but like really I'm just upset about Tony. Like I would have loved to seen maybe like a directing nomination, but like, I will say this, I am gunning to like watch Midsummer now. Mm. I need to see it. So I'm, yeah. I'm super excited for, that because I don't really know too much about it at all, really. I, I'm not seeing any scenes from that, but I do know about some scenes. Mm-hmm. I um, I would say, I mean, Florence Pugh is fantastic. Yeah, uh, I will say that this, there is a there is a moment. The first like ten fifteen minutes, especially one shot, still haunts me. So, uh, like haunts me. Um, and otherwise, there's like one kind of like. Uh, explicit sort of violent scene and otherwise sure. it, I think you'd be you'd be okay yeah okay uh yeah I'm excited and I'm just excited to see like what he does in the future I mm-hmm. think he's just such an interesting filmmaker and um hit the way that he approaches everything and like the the process and just hearing to him on that hearing him on that podcast I'm I'm super excited to see what he does next. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait. He's got apparently like he, at the time of hereditary had like 10 scripts that he was ready to, to Whoa. work on next. And like, they're not all horror movies. I think he's going to be probably moving on to other genre movies after midsummer. Great. So yeah. Ooh, can't wait. Yeah. Uh, well that was, as I said, towards the beginning of this episode, thank you for going on the hereditary journey with me and yeah. taking the risk. I, I, I hope that I didn't play up Tony Collette too much. No, uh, it's, it is, it is such a, it, it is such a singular performance. I just, I, I just think years later, despite the lack of awards, we will look back on Tony Collette and hereditary as not just a great tote bag, but like just a legendary performance. Yeah, and like it's like queer <laughs> horror canon, which is like the best of the best too. Yeah. Um, and I looked up uh, as we were recording too. I I looked up. Um, she only won, I think. 
I'm pretty sure. She won a Golden Globe for United States of Terror, and she won an Emmy Award for United States of Terror. So, like, she has some trophies. But mm-hmm. the only Oscar nom she has is for The Sixth Sense, like, uh, which is yeah. great. Like, don't get me wrong. Uh, I mean, but I, I wish this was also one of them as mm. well. Well, I'm glad you bring up The Sixth Sense. Like, I forgot about that, but it's another Tony Collette as a mom in a horror movie. And yeah. I remember seeing that. I, that, God, that movie... That because that was like 1999, and I remember like having to leave the lights on at night when I went to bed. Like I was so freaked out. Yeah, but I and I was not really familiar with her at the time when I saw that, and like looking back now, I'm like that is a different woman. Like she completely transforms into this like Philadelphia mom. That yeah, it it's there's that scene in the car is is yeah the car so, scene is great. Just so good. Uh uh, with the, all that, all the finger acting. Oh my yes. god! Yes, <laughs> we love a finger. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, all that being said, it's it is time to, of course, move on to our final segment of the podcast, as usual, which is the BSA of the week, in which we uh, queen out on a performance, or an actor, or a food, or a song, or a thing, or anything in our lives. That is acting as the best supporting actress of our lives this week. Yeah. Uh, do you have any nominations or wins? What do you have? Uh, yeah, I have one nomination, and that goes out to my ice pack that keeps me <laughs> from not <laughs> wanting to die and takes down, down the inflammation in my back. Mm. You know, for uh, he said twenty minutes a day, but sometimes I just push it for like a good. I do like twenty on each side because mm. where it's at right now, it's like right hip, left hip, and it's uh. It's good, and I feel good for that time, and I just kind of zone out on TikTok and just kind of, you know, whatever, just play on my phone, and um, it's a nice sort of relaxing time in my day, so that's like a, that's like my runner-up, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. but before I get into my BSA the week, do you have any runners-up of your own or nominees? I don't think I do. I was trying to think if I had any others. Um... I, I think it would be a loose nominee, but I did watch all three seasons of Search Party. Uh, Ooh, yeah. Wait, you talked about it last week or I not? think I did. I did. Yeah. I had started watching oh, yeah, it, yeah. and I ended up finishing it, and um, it's it's a good show. I would say season three lost the plot for me a little bit, and I got to the point okay. where I was just kind of watching to finish it. But I uh, I still, I mean, at the very least, I recommend like the first season and maybe the, and the second season as well. I think it's an easy watch. Um, and it was, you know, it felt good to complete something. I feel like there's so many shows out there. We both talk about yeah. it. Like, oh, I should watch that. Oh yeah. I'll put that on the list. And it was like, oh, I did it. I watched it. So yes, um, there is like some satisfaction there. It's like, it's like, um, I always get really proud of myself whenever I finish a chapstick. Like I feel yeah. really like I got my money money's worth and I didn't lose it. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Like I, yeah, exactly. I did not waste it. I didn't lose it. Um, yeah. if I were to highlight like a BSA from the, from the series that I would recommend watching for. She's only in, <clears throat> I think across three seasons, she's in like nine episodes, but do you know the actress, Christine Taylor? She, I think was married to Ben Stiller. She played oh, Marsha yeah. Brady. Marsha Brady. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. She was on Hey Dude back in the oh, day. Oh, Hey Dude. Hey Dude. Hey Yes. That would be the one. Melody. Well, she is fantastic in it. Oh, fun. That's cool. She is so good. It's almost like a role that Jane Krakowski would play. It's like the kind of like delusional rich lady, but- 
she's just so good in it. So, I mean, everyone's great in it, but I, she ended up being my favorite character. So oh, fun. I yeah. love that. Yeah. She's cool. Yeah, she was great. And I was like, what What else are you in? I, you know, I, I kind of went on the same journey I went on with Christina Applegate after Dead to Me, where I was like, yeah. we need to be celebrating Christine Taylor more. So, yeah. yeah. I listened to an episode of, uh, I think it might have been the Slate Spoilers specials. It was like an Emmy sort of episode, but they had an interview with Linda Cardellini at the end of it. It was like a 25-minute interview, and it's great. She's awesome. She's mm. like everything you want her to be, or at least she seems like it on the interview. And she talked about how like her and Christina are just like with like the, the moment they started like acting that they just like felt the connection and like just trusted each other. And it was like, ugh, mm. women supporting women and shows about grief. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like these are a few of my favorite things. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I also finished that show. I may destroy you, which was only 12 episodes. And I know that it, it, it stalled out a little bit in your house, but I'm telling you, I mean, talk about singular experiences. That show okay. is so good. And just like every step of the way, it was so much more and so different from what I was expecting it to be. It was just, oh, it's great television. I'm really excited. I think that I'll probably start that by the end of the week, if not over the weekend. Mm. Too. Oh, good. 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 With or without Keon. Mm. I don't care anymore. And then he starts to whine. And I'm like, well, I tried to offer it to you. And you said, no. Yeah. And I tried so, to tell you, uh, Keon. I don't know what I I'll... know. I was like, it came from Colin. He recommended it. What for, more do you want? For God's sake, the stamp was on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, it's like the Joan Calamezzo, like book club stamp. <laughs> totally, uh, totally. We're, we're still working our way through Parks and Rec. We are... Season seven, episode six. So we're almost there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. We really take our time. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I could do a rewatch of Parks and Rec. I've, I've seen it some episodes so many times, but I think, yeah. you know, a nice formal rewatch uh, yeah. would be fun. So anyway, anyway. Um, my BSA of the week, and um, it's, a, it's a lady that we've talked about quite often too, but we watched... Um, I didn't realize that we had past seasons of it. It's like season six through like 22, which sounds very ominous. Like what show has 22 yeah. seasons? But of course I'm talking about the one and only Barefoot Contessa. Oh, uh, yeah. Just, we went back and watched like, so we saw that we had options and this is on YouTube TV. I wish it was on Hulu. Unfortunately, Hulu only has like, two episodes of Barefoot Contessa. And yeah. I was like, what is this? Come, some kind of sick joke. <laughs> I get like so mad because they used to have like 15 of them, like the newer seasons. And now there's nothing, which is sad. But um, we have a YouTube TV account and we went back to like season six and it's so different. And it's such a different vibe of, as opposed to like what it is right now. Like she's so messy mm -hmm. and like she gets like she's just like tossing flour all over the place. And she had like guacamole on her fingers as she, she was reaching into her little like salt thing. And I was oh, like, no. what is happening here? It was so crazy. <laughs> Keon was disgusted because um, he's very clean about his salts uh, and spices. But um, but it, I think with going back to the older episodes, you get a certain amount of like camp that is not there in the in the later episodes too, as far as like her and Jeffrey interacting and, and like her friends that come over we watched one where it was like she was making dinner for Jeffrey because like 
she's like every time he's home alone he just ends up eating ice cream for dinner it's like oh, one of those things too i've and, seen that one of course oh, yes it's yeah. the espresso ice cream it's great it's and she does end up making him ice cream and she says something tells me he'll be going to the ice cream first hmm and then she's like gotta go and she grabs her like scarf you know and walks out the door right oh it's just we were laughing so hard it's like there's always one Ina zinger at mm-hmm. the end of the episode and Something in the middle episode, like I've got a date with some artichokes. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. one of those sort of uh, I, that tone she takes bliss. when she does something or she makes something and then she kind of looks at you in the camera. She goes, oh, "How good is that?" You know? And I know. Just, how good, how good and, is that? Look? And it's just you and Ina. You know? <laughs> it is. There's something, and it's like perfect bedtime watching. I mean, yeah. there's nothing better. And I, I love her. And um, yeah, she's my BSA forever and always. <laughs> I love that. And I mean, the theme song, the music is just... Oh, yeah. Even like the intermittent, like... Dun, dun, yeah. It's just like her, like, Michael's coming over to... T- the, like, just all the fabulous gay men. It's like, uh, it's so wonderful. That universe is great. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, I love that. Ugh. Well, yeah, how good is that? Oh, well, good. Yeah. I'm glad that Ina's getting some love. Um, yes. <clears throat> my BSA of the week, I thought I'd have something more original, but she's a two-time-in-a-row winner. It's Julie <gasps> Klausner again. Yes! She is... I love it! Uh, oh, great. I mean, how is my week so much better with Julie? Oh, great. It, I'm like, so glad. She is, like, quarantines, lockdown, whatever we're calling it these days, pandemic living... It's catching up to me. And I'm getting to the point where, like, I'm trying to hit that reset button and it's just not happening. I'm like, no, I'm tired of this. I've just, I just don't want to do this anymore, you know? And I'm just mm-hmm. hitting that wall and, and I'm, you know, and just trying to just keep myself afloat. And, you know, Jubies is just keeping Jubies. me going. I, I just, I mean, God, that app is worth its weight in gold. Uh, speaking of Search Party, John Early is in Search Party and her interview with him. Like I, oh my God, it's so good. It is. It, I have. I just felt so seen. I was like, yes, I agree with everything you're both saying. <laughs> so good. Um, her interview with Natasha Leone is so funny. The two of them. Ooh, I don't think I ever got there. Yeah, oh. there's there are some that I haven't listened to. I might have <clears throat> to go back. Oh, oh, that one is great because Natasha Leone is, of course, just such an intense energy. But sure. they're just they both have that like like intense East coast Jewish New York thing. Yes. And I just love it. I just love the way they talk and over each other. And it's just like, it's almost seems like they're fighting, but they're not. Yeah. Great. Um, (laughs) And I mean, I don't know if I've heard on various episodes, she at some point had this neighbor who had this dog who he'd like play. Oh, yes. (laughs) I mean, it is probably one of my favorite subplots of that. Oh my God. And her impression of him. The racist dog. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Hey, Julie. Like, she calls him Do you know anyone at Time Out New York? Do you have any connections? (laughs) She's like, no, get the fuck out of here and you're racist dog. (laughs) Oh, God. Her impression of him is just so funny. (laughs) It's, It's just, I... I just think I I think that she is nothing short of a national treasure and yeah. uh, is is literally my lifeline uh, during this th- these these past couple weeks. So uh, you should like give her a shout out on Insta. She's pretty responsive. Like she, I've sent her a message before, and like she just like maybe puts a heart back or something like mm. that. But like she's you don't say retweet, but she's reposted my Instagram. Like when I just say like 
praise be, there's a new episode of How Was Your Week. Mm-hmm. Like, I get really excited. when, And I know she hasn't been putting them out because she, like the rest of the world, is just kind of losing it. But she also has... Um, Tri- double threat triple threat what's it called oh Ooh. yeah with tom, with tom sharpling sharpling yeah i think yeah, it's yeah, double yeah. threat yeah double threat <clears throat> trio or something I don't yeah know it is. which i haven't been listening to as much. i should be listening to that but i'm really just enjoying just the backlog also there's this thing about listening to things from like 2014 you know and like yeah it's like <clears throat> lady watch when yeah you go back oh. and listen to like yeah mm-hmm, exactly like it's just a nice escape to a different time <laughs> but oh my god the neighbor. Hey, Julie. <laughs> hey, Julie. Do you have any contacts at Time Out New York? <laughs> it's that episode I was listening to in the shower the other day, and I just, oh, she's heaven. Did, have you heard any of, like, the um, the sort of rivalry between her and Polly Perrette oh. yet? <laughs> her ongoing rivalry with Polly Perrette. World's oldest goth. That's what she calls her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the recurring topics are like Polly Perrette, Kat Von D, um, the the time they asked her to host some like cat award show. Yeah, like it was a dog award show and she yeah. asked her, she's like, are you, have you ever heard her like tell the story? I know, I can't remember what episode it's on. But I don't think I've heard like the She'll full... eventually do it. Yeah. yeah. And it's great. I have to find the episodes where she re- reads the comments on like jcpenny.com. Oh, it's, that's, those are some good ones. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I'm so glad. I mean, I could talk about her all day, and I I feel like I found her on my own, but I also don't think I did at the same time. I don't know who introduced me to her, but I just love her. Yeah. I love her so much. I agree. I, I just, I think that she is like a, she's a light, she's a lighthouse on a welcoming shore these days, you know? I'm just yes. like, oh, Julie, you make sense. Yeah. So. Great. Yeah, so that's my BSA of the week. It might be my BS the, BSA of the week next week. Uh, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Three we, times. Ugh. Right? We might just have best supporting Julie segments every week. Oh, I would love it. So yeah. That. So um, so all that being said, I think I think it's okay to play us off. I think we're ready. <laughs> I was like all ears. I was like, what's he going to say? I next? know. Nope. Just play us off. Here it is. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yes. Uh, so now that we're being played off... Uh, where can people find more of you? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nick Kochanov, where I am neither tweeting or posting anything, but I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> but I might send a heart, you know? I'm back. Yeah. I'm over there, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Just liking everything that Julie Klausner does. Yes. Uh, how about you, Colin? Well, uh, you, of course, can find me on another episode of, uh, on another episode, on hopefully a new episode <laughs> soon of In the Details. I'm, I think, yes, finally this week. I'm trying to do like two a month because they're a little bit more work. Yeah. And so I'm trying to commit to like two a month um, uh, and then maybe that'll kind of build up the habit. But yeah, so In the Details, a celebration of nuance or, of course, every week on All Right, Mary. Um, and of course you can find me on Twitter at Colin Drucker and Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. And of course you can find both of us in a best supporting capacity on Twitter at BSA pod. And you could also send any emails or thoughts. Uh, I mean, I would love to keep the hereditary conversation going, um, mm. or the actress and out. Uh, but you can email us at the BSA pod at gmail.com. Yes. <laughs> okay. I swear to God, like I, I've, I've, I haven't told him yet, but if Keon ever like, if he ever does that, even as a joke, I I will oh. jump out a window. Yeah, like that's that's that is like that is non right. non negotiable. Like right. if we ever just like shut the lights out at, at like for bed, and he did that, I would stab him. Banish. I'd be like Tony Collette, just like <laughs> totally <laughs> the piano wire. Right. <laughs> I'd be doing that to him though. Anyways. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I love Keon, if you're listening, don't do <laughs> yeah. the noise and start watching I May Destroy You. <laughs> or He yes. May Destroy You. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. And, uh, of course, a big thank you to Ann Dowd and Tony uh, Collette. Actress Ann Dowd, Tony Collette, and Hereditary. Yes. Um, uh, Alex Wolf. Alex Wolf. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gabriel Byrne, we noticed you. We saw you there. We see um, you. Millie Shapiro for your weird, intense, beautiful performance that uh, doesn't last the whole movie, unfortunately, but it's no. definitely like she's burnt into my brain a lot, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Not to be confused with Gabriel Byrne, who's just burnt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. And that, as they say, is that. <laughs> 